Hey, beautiful. This is Aminata Soul Plant Walker Firewoman, and I am the host of the Mother Tree Network, rooted in love, standing for justice. Hey, beautiful. Aminata Soul Plant Walker Firewoman here, and I am so excited to share this interview, which is full of gems of wisdom from Ms. Joyce Washington. Joyce is an elder in the uh, Mother Tree Network. She is also a certified racial justice from the heart facilitator and such a inspiring, grounding presence in my life. So she's going to share with you jewels on how to deal with the angry black woman stereotype. If you are an angry black woman, she's going to talk with you about her whole mindset about planting seeds and lighting the path for people who aren't already um, as aware as she is. And she's going to talk about, you know, concrete strategies, how you can make way for other people when you are the first or you are the only. So tune in. See you on the other side. The reason why I've always wanted to interview her is because uh I have, I don't think I've ever left the conversation with Joyce and not felt stronger on the inside, uh, or, um, you know, connected, you know, to all of my spiritual and my ancestors and, um, and, you know, and connected to Joyce. So I, so for me, sharing her with the world, um, is, is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. So welcome. I'm glad you're here today, Joyce. And I'm glad that everyone who comes live and who listens to the recording later is going to get a chance to hear us talk about some good real life stuff. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm just thrilled to be here. And I am humbled by your uh, most gracious words. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So Joyce Washington um, is a, uh, has had over 30 years of experience working at a Fortune 100 company where she was often the only or the trailblazing first one as a woman of color or as a black person in a space. And um, so she's been in that position many times and she now resides in Tennessee, which some of you might recognize is a pretty red state and she resides in a rural part of the state which she just described to me over at described to me as flyover counties where <laughs> where all the people who, who compete for your vote kind of fly over her county because they assume it's a wrap over there so uh, but nonetheless sister Joyce Washington has managed to thrive where she plants herself in these often difficult environments. And um, and I think she has some wisdom to share with us today. So that's what we're going to focus on. What's How do you thrive when you're the first or you're the only? Does that sound good? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, right? You know, how many times have, have we been in that position where we wish we had a, an opportunity to talk to someone who was who could help us vent, but actually help us work it out? So, Joyce, my first yes. question today is, um, what was your first like trailblazing uh, experience where you were the first or where you were the only? When did you first have that experience in your life? Probably in 1962. Okay. And when my sister and I were part 
of the students that integrated the school in my county. And so that was like, until then, I lived in a pretty protective Black bubble. Yeah. Um, I went to a Black school. I certainly went to a Black church. You know, my world was pretty much like me. Now, mm-hmm. I understood and, and interacted with white folks, but that was not my world, right? My world looked like me. And so being part of the student population that integrated this middle school or junior high school back then um, was really an eye opener. And the struggles that I had there and I would continue to have all until graduation, you know, that I refuse to be defined by or limited Mm. by anybody but Joyce. Mm. A friend of mine uh, that I graduated with, um, a young white man, his mother told me the day I walked across the stage for graduation, she said that I had a look on my face that I am out of here. I am done. (laughs) Um, But I just would not allow myself to be defined by that situation, which was, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only Black person who has been discouraged by a teacher, a white teacher. Uh, I wanted to be an archaeologist. I really was into that. And my science teacher told me that I should consider something else. Mm. Well, I'm not an archaeologist, mm. um, but I did consider and pursue other things. Um, and by his grace, you know, I've managed to be reasonably successful at those things. Mm. Um, but I just... I won't be put in a box and I won't be made to feel less than mm-hmm. by my environment. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was my, that's my earliest recollection. And from there, you know, I, I kept finding myself, uh, because this, I graduated in 68. So, you know, you can probably do your math and I'm a person of that generation, that era. Um, and figure out about how old I am. Um, but I went from there to graduation. Um, I'm a late bloomer (laughs) and it took me forever to complete my BS. I completed my BS at 59. Congratulations. (laughs) I got my MBA at 61. Uh, and I got a second master's at 70. Wow. So um, I'm a lifelong learner. And I've learned the one word or phrase for me about being the only or the first is I've learned to ask people, do you really want me to tell you <laughs> how I feel? Okay. Or, okay. <laughs> okay I just want to write it down. Ask people, do you really want me to tell you how I feel? Yeah. Do, in fact, in my corporate life, uh, I have a claims background, a personal claims background. And, um, you know, I, I, I was hired as one of the first customer service people. And the company that I worked for did not really begin to hire Black folks until 1969 in roles that were not um, blue collar jobs. Mm. So 
uh, they started moving people into what would be termed white collar jobs in about 69. I came on board in 71 and it was a new position. Um, there were several uh, young black women that came in to the office, but I came in as a customer service person and I was outspoken about how things were. And whenever management or supervisors would ask my opinion, I always wanted to know, do you really want me to tell you? Mm. You know, don't don't ask me if you aren't ready to hear the truth. Okay. Um, and within racial justice from the heart, we often talk about that, you know, uh, about asking people, do you really want to know? You know, how that might feel to me or how that may look or sound to others, mm. uh, because I'm not going to give you any blood mm. and I'm not going to waste any time. Ooh, OK, OK. okay. And I have to stop you there because we got to okay. get some of these um, real life tips from you. OK, okay. <laughs> so you you managed you integrated your junior high school, quote, integrated. Right. You and your sister went to this junior high school. You're you're you have all white teachers. Mm -hmm. and, and despite discouragement, you said, I refuse to be limited by anybody but Joyce. I won't be put in a box. So, Joyce, what? What helped you to hold on to your self-worth? Uh, what helped you to, you know, not be put in a box? What made you make that decision? Was there someone in your life who encouraged it? Was it just something you knew deep in your heart? I think it was my parents mm. and what I just felt deep in my heart. I knew that there was something else out there that I didn't really know about or had not been exposed to. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to do the work to see it and to do it. Uh, I, I got married in uh, 1968 uh, and ended up in Bamberg, Germany from 60, 69 to 71. And 1971 was when I went to work in corporate America. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm a survivor and I wanted more than I had seen my parents struggle for. My father had like a fifth, sixth grade education, mm -hmm. but worked for the railroad, owned his own business. Uh, my mom uh, was a high school graduate and a beautician. Back in the day, you ha could have beauty shops in your home. And so my father built her a, a room, an add-on room to the house. And um, my mom ran her own shop hmm. for years. Um, so I wanted and they wanted me to be better than them. And that's the attitude that I've had even with my own kids and kids in my family mm -hmm. is you can be and do whatever you want to be and do. Mm. And you don't need to be defined mm. by anybody or whatever situation. That is so beautiful. We all have made mistakes. We all got a history and not all of that history um, would we want on a billboard, but that's not who you are. 
But it is that experience that has brought you to this place mm-hmm. and prepared you for this moment. This is such great stuff. But let me pause and ask you a question, beautiful listener. Are you exhausted? Overwhelmed? Drowning in emails, petitions, news, and information? Are you grieving for our oceans, the forests, and our animal kin? Are you ready to do less to bring on more healing to the world? Well, if you answered yes to any of these, then I invite you to check out the Do Less, Do Differently, Heal the World Meditation Challenge. Just go to DrAmandaKemp.com for more information. It's 14 days leading up to the midterm elections in the U.S. We will show you how to meditate, how to do differently, and how to heal the world. Go to DrAmandaKemp.com for more information and to sign up. Now back to our show. So your parents, um, of course, were growing up in Jim Crow and segregated South. Absolutely. Right. And, um, and, the, and the way they dealt with it, one of the ways they dealt with it was, of course, to create their own businesses. So mm-hmm. your father had a job, but he had his own business. And he enabled your mom to have her own business. And they, they encouraged you that you could do anything and don't let anybody stop you. Kind of like that kind of mindset. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So let's fast forward then. So you graduate from high school, you lived in Germany for a while, and then you step into the doors of the Fortune 100 company, which has finally decided to hire black people in these white collar positions. Um, Do you really want me to tell you how I feel? I want to know. So when they said, if they said yes, were they, what, tell me a little bit about that. Like, were you giving them tips on how to improve the environment, how to recruit more black people? What were you doing? All of that. Uh, I mean, literally all of that mm-hmm. uh, from process improvement mm-hmm. to we need to hire more black folks mm-hmm. to we need to consider how we give adoptive parents parental leave mm-hmm. because my son is adopted. And oh. so at the point that we were going through our adoption, there was no such thing as parental leave for adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. and so. I feel as though I I did all of that. I mean, whatever the issue was, Joyce had an opinion about it. <laughs> Joyce had an opinion about it on how we could make it better, you know, and make it better for everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, from the customer experience to process, mm-hmm. you know, to increasing our diversity, to training programs. Oh, yeah. Joyce always had an opinion. Don't ask me if you don't want to know. Okay. Okay. Now I just want to interrupt here and say that Joyce, you know, she broke down the door. She was in that first generation hired by this fortune 100 company. And Joyce, mm-hmm. I think by the time you completed your work there, you know, your, your service there, a couple of three decades later, you told me you mm-hmm. had increased diversity there by like 25%. Right. Within, um, Within the claims department, I worked in a very specialized group as a catastrophe claims manager. Mm-hmm. And when we started the team, there were 50 of us. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I left, we were pushing 900 members of a dedicated catastrophe team. Wow. And my office worked to always hire the best people, but we made sure to focus on recruitment 
that and and process for recruitment that would give us qualified minority applicants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I we worked to hire black folks into a industry that was pretty white and male. Mm-hmm. And it was, I would say it was conscious on our part mm-hmm. as a team, as an office. Um, and we would hire people and help other offices. There were four offices across the country that were virtual offices. Um, and so between just my office, there, most of my leaders were minorities, either women or people of color. Um, uh, it was a conscious effort. You have to be intentional when you are trying to improve diversity numbers, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't happen organically in, in predominantly white spaces. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen because those who are in power don't organically think that way, mm-hmm. right? So you have to be willing to be intentional and have a plan, a strategy on how to make sure that you can increase the number of qualified applicants. And fortunately, the the requirement for our entry level positions where you just needed to have a, a college degree because we did our own training. So people didn't have to come in with skills. They just needed to be a college graduate uh, and be willing to travel 90% of the year and not be afraid of heights. And, you know, there were some some requirements, um, but we worked hard. And I was, as a team, as an, a manager of an office of 120 people, I was very proud of the the team and the work that we did okay, um, and the focus that we had. Right. So you were intentional. Let me just ask this question because so many yeah. people know um, if you are not the leader, if you're not the, if you're not the person who can say yay or nay, mm-hmm. uh, but you want to persuade or educate the person who can say yay or nay, that it's important to be intentional. Is that what you did or were, did you come in as the leader? And so people just had to say yes, because, you know, Joyce, I think, both of those things. I wasn't always a senior manager mm-hmm. in a position to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And when I was moving through the system, mm-hmm. I would work to talk to those who did have the power to say yes or no, mm-hmm. to always present candidates that were strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I would always, and we talk a lot about this in racial justice from the heart. Um, there's a way of approaching whiteness, which is a system, right? That you have to have a strategy and yelling <laughs> and roll up and say, you know, y'all need to do X, Y, and Z. You have to have a Yeah, strategy. you can't do that. You got to have a strategy. Okay. Well, tell us some, what's some strategy that we could use? The, for example, you always present a positive case mm-hmm. and most fortune 500 or most companies have some diversity requirement or goal that they want to reach. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to be aware of what that is. Okay. And then you work towards moving that. 
and achieving it first. You got to achieve it. And if you know that you are not there, then you have to present without yelling, screaming, making people feel guilty. You just need to keep bringing the most qualified applicants in and to make sure you are recruiting in places that will give you the broadest pool of candidates. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's go back to the yelling, screaming part. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that when when Black women speak powerfully or mm-hmm. passionately, we can be perceived as yelling or screaming. And therefore, we have this angry Black woman stereotype. Mm-hmm. And so many Black women feel like I can't be myself because people are going to think I'm an angry Black woman. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I want to know kind of like, well, how do you recommend people navigate that stereotype? Uh, you know, how did you do it? Well, having been defined as an angry black woman on more than one occasion, um, I have learned to speak slower, mm. um, to moderate the candor in my voice, mm. um, and still be angry. <laughs> okay. You okay. know, and you can, it's about never losing control mm. because when you get emotional, mm. you do come off mm. as being angry, mm. but it's a way to, to direct that energy of anger mm. to be passionate mm. and direct mm. and compassionate mm. and to deliver whatever it is your your message is mm. with honesty. Yes. Because once you've done that, I, I'm not responsible for how you receive it. Mm, mm. And you've been successful. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, speak, you shame the devil and burn it all down. Right. But you've been able to to speak your truth, make the case and keep getting promoted. Right. So and uh, even within my community, mm-hmm. you know, I, I live in a in a red county, in a red state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some interesting conversations mm-hmm. and I've been called an angry black woman here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have people to say to me that they respect, you know, the, the positions that I put forth mm-hmm. and, um, they're willing to engage in courageous conversations with me. Mm. And is that because of your tone, because of compassion? Why do you think they're willing to engage with you? Because of my empathy, my compassion, uh, because of the things I've learned from you and racial justice from the heart, you know. Uh, I think it's all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to speak my truth and I won't let other people dismiss my experience. Mm-hmm. And while it may make you uncomfortable, and I say this to people, I've been uncomfortable all my life. So I, I'm sorry if you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But this is my truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you asked me and I'm sharing it. Mm-hmm. So is the, um, is the trick here to wait to be asked or to ask someone if they really want to know or how? I think it depends on, on the situation. Okay. You know, um, if you are engaged already in a conversation, it may flow out as a natural byproduct of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, 
if you are presenting and then opening it up for discussion, then again, it, it may not be organic. It's just part of the presentation. And then you allow people to engage with you in a discussion around it. Mm. But when living in where I live, you know, there are certain um, trigger words mm. that once those words are out, they don't hear nothing else. Mm. It's like they Shut don't down. hear nothing else. Shut down. And so you can't engage in meaningful, open conversation when people shut down. Very true. You know, you you have to be able to have this open dialogue and To do that, you have to um, hold space for transformation, right? You have to learn to take care of yourself, to breathe, and to stay in your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because once you allow your emotions to take over, you've already discounted yourself. Mm. Think of Nelson Mandela. Mm. All that he went through, Mm. we never saw anything that indicated he was out of his body emotionally. Mm. Mm. So when you think of Desmond Tutu, Mm. even Dr. King, Mm. Mm. you know, these are people and they had plenty anger and and heartache and stuff to be mad about. Right, right. But it was how they then directed that and managed to stay in their bodies. Mm. There is something about being able to remain calm in the face of adversity. Mm. It's like it's like the devil wants you to come out of your body. Yes. Because then he's got it. He's one. Mm. But when you can stay in your body, focus on your heart center mm. and still deliver your message mm. and stay calm mm. and smile mm. because it's OK mm. that we disagree. You know, I tell people all the time that I'm seeking understanding, not agreement. OK, that's different. I'm seeking understanding, not agreement. So if, if that is your goal, and let's say in the course of your career where you were very successful at, you know, building diversity and, you know, you, you were the only one, but you didn't stay the only one. You definitely opened doors for other right. people. I'm wondering how um, how understanding got people to actually do what you wanted them to do. <laughs> I think when you plant seeds with people, I believe in humankind Mm. and I believe people will make the right decisions. It just takes them a long time sometimes. Mm. And I think when you present an idea, when you plant a seed, when you provide the light on the path, I think people will get there. Mm. Provide the light on the path. Okay. Great. You know. So you have this, you said, I, I believe in humankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that gives you a, that gives you a little bit of a long-term view then where you can plant a seed and have some trust or provide the light and think that people could get there eventually, mm-hmm. as opposed to if they're not with me now, you know, they must be taken out or, you know, canceled or whatever the words are. Well, by the same token now, I also know that there are some people that ain't going to never get there. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to sort of discern that. Mm. Yes. 
But the majority of the people, mm-hmm. I believe, will get there. But now I, I also know that there's some that, that what I, what I'm talking about, they ain't trying to hear now or ever. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because mm-hmm. it takes, you know, a spectrum of people to create community. Don't you disrespect me in your position and I won't disrespect you, but I respect that that's how you feel. And that's okay. That's okay. Wow. You know, Joyce, I feel like uh, hearing you talk, I'm hearing a few things that could really help people. One is accept that there will be a spectrum. Mm -hmm. There will be some folks who ain't trying to hear it and you don't necessarily expect them to get anywhere. Right. But you do have a a trust that the majority, many are going to travel Mm -hmm. and there will be a spectrum. Mm -hmm. We're not all going to actually agree, you know, and somehow even within the spectrum, uh, you, something good can happen, even if we're in right. a spectrum rather than in unity or unanimity. Right. Well, even as black folks, we are not monolithic, right? Mm-hmm. 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 So humankind is not monolithic, mm-hmm. but I, I just believe in the humanity of people and that mm. when when you reflect what you want to see, it's contagious. Okay. <laughs> That's another little gem. When you reflect what you want to see, it's contagious. Tell me, give me an example of that. That that approach to mm-hmm. handling difficult conversations mm-hmm. of staying in your body and focusing on your breathing mm. and being able to make eye contact with people mm-hmm. and to show them compassion and empathy, even in my anger, Mm. because what you just said is stupid, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I'm going to walk alongside you Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to take another trail because I'm not going to give blood now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have a book group and in the book group last night, actually, I, I shared this, that Self-care, all of this, and I didn't come to this until late in life, that self-care is critical to my ability to be effective in any situation, but especially difficult situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have to love Joyce, respect Joyce, take care of Joyce in order for Joyce to be able to do any of those things for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And this work is about doing stuff for everybody else. Mm, mm. And so when I love me, when I take care of me, when I learn to set my limits and my boundaries, sometimes I have to step away from that work because as we all know, it can be exhausting, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It can be very exhausting. And sometimes you have to take a break. Yes. Okay. So here are the, here's some, I'm coming to like, you know, uh, make sure everybody's picking up what you're laying down. So I heard you saying, you know, expect a spectrum mm-hmm. Go for understanding, not necessarily agreement in conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard you say, stay in your body, stay in your body and your breath 
And then I heard you say that when you are something, it is contagious. And then you said back to your body as an example. I said, give me an example. You said, well, so it's almost by implication when you stay in your body and your breath, you could be making that so that other people will stay in their body when they're mm-hmm. coming to you or working on something. Is that what? Because they're trying to figure out why is she so calm? When mm. I know she's angry, mm. you know, because why are you shouting? In fact, I've been in conversations where it has become confrontation, confrontational. And I will say to the person, why are you shouting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't understand why you're yelling. Mm-hmm. That really sort of flips how people respond Mm. because they realize they're the only person that's yelling and screaming Mm -hmm. and you're still talking. Mm. So that's like being the light, Mm. you know, and, and you know, being what you want to see Mm -hmm. and people can then, you know, reflect and go, wow, I guess I was yelling. Mm I'm going to ask you something about self-care since you said that that's important. Is there some kind of practice that you do on a daily basis or a, a regular basis? And if it is, tell us what it is and how often you do it. I um, hold space, which is a meditational practice that we do. Uh, I try and do it every day, but I always do it before important things, calls, meetings, um and at night, I have like a meditational time where I read scripture. In fact, I'm reading, I'm on a journey to read the whole Bible. And so I, I do that at night. Um, so, you know, for me, my spiritual journey is important uh, to me and I've practiced a lot of different types of spiritual um, traditions, Mm. and I still practice several of them. You know, I sort of mix them all together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's I find comfort in them and I they're not mutually exclusive for me. Mm. This is very this is a theme I'm picking up from you. Not mutually exclusive. The whole thing about expecting a spectrum. Right. Uh, what did you say? We're not monolithic. Even as black people, we're not a monolithic. We're not a monolithic. Right. Yeah. It seems like you have a high degree of um, acceptance of difference and, mm-hmm. and an ability to knit things together so that they comfort you. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think that's what the world is intended to be, mm. right? It is intended to be filled with differences, mm. different cultures, different religions. But what we've not been able to do is we've struggled to learn how to live together. We don't, we don't play well in the sandbox together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it takes practice. And, and again, you have to, you have to be and present what you want to see in life. And so I really do, I really do try to represent that and and to be that. Mm -hmm. And it's hard sometimes and it's exhausting most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I won't give up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you say it's exhausting, but you have this beautiful smile, you know? (laughs) Thank Um, you. And I, I, I wonder, do you ever have any moments where you, uh, 
where you are down on Joyce, where you're like, now nah, Joyce, you just blew that one up, or you know, you met, you, you you screwed up, you're not good, Joyce. I'm not saying. I'm just wondering. Do you ever have a voice inside of you that's? I like- do. I have to have conversations with myself. Okay. Um, because I don't always get it right, mm-hmm. and I realize that I'm an imperfect being. You know, um, trying to live a more perfect life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I can't lie about that. That's a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I step back and I have these conversations with Joyce and with spirit, mm-hmm. you know, I can let it go mm-hmm. because what's important is I did my best. Mm-hmm. I, I tried. Mm-hmm. I wasn't vicious. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to forgive myself mm-hmm. for that blunder that mistake that you know misspoken word or whatever mm-hmm. um and, and that's i think learning to forgive self is huge it's right up there with self-care I, <laughs> in fact I, i'm on that train because if you can't forgive yourself you just your load just accumulates yes it's heavy and heavier year after year and, and you have to be able to do that yeah yeah you know, if you were going to um, advise someone on how to forgive themselves, Joyce, is there a, a, a way that you could give somebody a, a suggestion for how they could do it? I can share how I do it. Okay. Right. And, and maybe people can um, modify it or take something from it. I simply go into prayer and meditation mm. and know that I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough now, yesterday and forever. And that, yeah, I probably could have done that better, but I did it as well as I could at the time, given what I had. Mm, I did. And then, I'm sorry, go ahead. I want to just repeat what you said out loud, because I think we all hear it. I did what I could with what I had at the time. Right. Because when we know better, we do better. That goes back to my belief in humankind, right? (laughs) Is that when people know better, when you realize that that stove is hot and if you touch it, you go, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And so when I know that now, I will do better. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say out loud for anybody who's feeling this. And sometimes you know better and then you repeat yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> You're just like, wasn't I just here? How did I get here again? You know, so I just want to say, if you find yourself in this situation, um, you can still forgive yourself. For me. Okay. And I can own this. I have found myself in that situation more times than I got strands of hair in my head, Mm -hmm. especially around relationships, romantic relationships. Mm. And I am thankful that I have reached a place in my life Mm -hmm. where I realized that relationships are not really all that important. Mm -hmm. It's the relationship with Joyce. (laughs) That is the most important one. And um, when I'm happy with Joyce, that's that's pretty cool. And everything else will fall in place that needs to fall in place, whatever that is. You know, you're really pointing to the relationship between like um, in terms of being effective when you're a trailblazer or when you're the only one uh, you when I hear you saying is having that relationship with yourself is still mm-hmm. most you know, more important than your job or wherever mm-hmm. it is that you're serving, this one has to work. Mm-hmm. 
And this is the only one you have control of Mm -hmm. because I can't control any other relationship, Mm -hmm. right? I I can control this one. And so I think it's important as women of color um, to have good, solid, open, honest relationships with ourselves individually and to learn to forgive ourselves. You know, pretty much we've been raised and socialized to carry everybody and everything. Okay, you you can say that one again. We've been, you know, socialized and raised and culturated and all of those things to carry and nurture everybody and everything at the sacrifice of ourselves. You know, I, I told a couple of women here that I, I work with, um, that, and I've told you, Dr. A, that in about 2016, spirit gave to me that women were going to save the world. Okay. I do remember you saying this. Um, because women are wired to nurture. We're, we're better at compromising and we have less ego mm. because we are intended to nurture I mean, that's what we do. That's how we were created. (laughs) Um, And because of that, we tend to be less competitive and we can see the benefit of the whole, mm-hmm. right? And to save this world and to save our people, that's what it's going to take is being able to see the greater good and to be able to live and be a collective. Mm-hmm. And I think women are much better at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I have heard you say that. And, um, and as you said earlier, that can get distorted into, I carry everybody and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so the, the, the tendency to sacrifice ourselves is um, pretty deep. And I think that runs deep for black women mm-hmm. um, trying to protect everybody, our children, mm-hmm. our men, our elders. I mean, you know, always like uh, there's so many examples. Uh, That's why self-care is so critical. And, and that and... is that I think that our grandmothers and our aunts mm-hmm. and women, we didn't see them do that. To- so we don't really know how to, we're, wow. we're, yeah. So we're the generation to show the future generations how to do both, how to be holistic and caring, mm-hmm. and also how to build this relationship with ourselves as the first relationship that has to work. We, as, as black women, especially, we are late to the party of self-care. Yeah, I think we are. Um, and, and we're angry. And I think that about does- that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We're angry about that. People are tired. So yes, because we're tired. I'm yes. My body. I have a little angry girl in my body right now who's tired. Yes. Yeah. So we want to not be angry. I think we do have to do the self care stuff. Take the time Mm -hmm. and be okay with it. Be okay with it. Yeah. And be okay with it. Which could take a little bit of uh, adjustment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a new way of living for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. Well, we're coming toward the end of our time. I have one more question for you. This is a little bit lighter. Okay. (laughs) We were talking about um, 
dress and makeup, you know, before we, you and I started recording the call. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I just wonder, like for you, you know, how do you remind yourself that you're beautiful or how do you cultivate inside of yourself? Oh my God, you're just beautiful. <laughs> Like, do you do anything to make yourself feel that way or remind yourself you're that way? Every morning when I wash my face and brush my teeth, mm. I say to myself, I see, you know, you look pretty good for 72. You know? <laughs> I love uh, that. Every morning? Every morning, you know, I'm brushing my teeth. Looking at uh, I, I have this um, this routine I do with my face. Um, and I'll look in the mirror and I go, you know what? 72 don't look bad. And I just want to say out loud, that does not take a lot of time. So if everybody's busy out here, you know, when you brush your teeth, you could do that, right? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Because if I don't think, if I don't think I'm beautiful or that I look good, how is anybody else going to think it? Mm. Or maybe you won't you know? believe people when they tell you, you look good. Right, yeah. right. And even that has taken some learning to accept compliments. Mm -hmm. I had to learn to do that. Mm -hmm. That has not always been easy for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you a compliment right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You look good at any age. (laughs) Thank you. And the beauty from the inside is popping out, you know, and your generosity, you know, of sharing with other people is, um, you know, whether you're physically sharing something like drink or food with other people or just sharing your wisdom, you know, it's there. It's and it's so it's yeah. So I I appreciate being one of the people that you share with. Uh, Thank you very much. Hey, lovely. I need you to be a part of this 14 day challenge to meditate together. I'm calling it the Cultivate Your Inner Authority Challenge because I want us to tune in to our inner authority rather than being manipulated by outside sources. So please check it out. It's free. Go to racialjusticefromtheheart.com forward slash meditation challenge. Racialjusticefromtheheart.com forward slash meditation challenge. Peace.